When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. What's going on, everybody? Zach Rosenblatt back here for another episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast. I'm here with Daryl Slater, as always. There's a lot to cover, so I, I guess we could get uh, right into it because the, the Giants didn't have a game last week, but it was a very eventful bye week because there's never a dull moment on this beat. The week pretty much started off with, you know, all the news about all these COVID tests. Graham Gano tested positive uh, after the Eagles win, a day after he signed an extension, by the way. So that's tough. <laughs> he he didn't have much time to celebrate, um, and he's still on the COVID list, unclear if he'll play on Sunday. And then later in the week, they had three more guys go on COVID, which were Matt Pert, Caden uh, Smith, and I'm blanking on who the other one was off the top of my head. Uh, it was another backup. Um, Pettis, Dante Pettis, Pettis, yeah, who they just who they just signed and was probably going to make his debut this week. That's not going to happen now because they need at least ten days, and it happened within nine days, I believe. Um, so they're going to be out with out of those guys. Which Pert is the main one. Uh, Smith plays a lot too, but Pert has been part of that like tackle rotation, um, and now he won't be a part of it. Uh, but the big thing that we are going to talk about right here has been kind of taking over the NFL world. Uh, just because of like the wild ranges of reporting and and the nature of what happened, and it was you know I, I was off last week. The Giants were on a bye, so I I tried to take a few days off. And of course, as soon as my first day off happens, uh, news comes through the ticker that Mark Colombo was fired. It, it felt like it was out of nowhere, as as we've reported and as others have reported as time has gone on. Like it it wasn't out of nowhere. Uh, something that has been brewing for a while, but it, it culminated in as many have reported. Um, you know. Joe Judge wanted to bring in Dave DiGuglielmo. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to correct me on that. But uh, they were gonna bring him in as a consultant to help Mark Colombo and coach the offensive line. Essentially, Mark Colombo did not take kindly to that, and he let Joe know about it in the form of using some curse words. There was a report that they got into a fight, which immediately sounded fake, especially considering who reported. I won't say his name, but. Um, that turned out to be unfounded. I mean, if, if Mark Colombo, six foot eight, 330 pound NFL offensive lineman had punched Joe judge in the face, Joe judge was not, would not have been available for press conferences this week, I would say, but the, the fight didn't happen. Mark Colombo was fired. There's been a lot of stuff coming out about how they had disagreements about that rotation, which we've talked about is very strange. Never seen that before. Colombo wanted, uh, the same five, you know, there was an incident in practice a few weeks ago where Joe judge interrupted Mark Colombo. Uh, to show Nick Gates like some form of technique and Mark Colombo did not take kindly to that. There's been a lot, you know, I, I, I've talked to people who, who said that Mark Colombo kind of thought he was being scapegoated for how bad the offensive line was in the beginning of the year. Um, there's, there's just like a lot going on here. In the end though, this is like a very abnormal thing to happen in the middle of the season where you fire a position coach, especially as important on the offensive line and you bring in an outside person to, to do the job. But you normally it would be someone internally you promote. But the fact that they hired somebody from outside who hasn't been around these guys at all surprised me. But like, what 
I mean, you were, you were covering this more than I was, but like, what was your, what, what were you thinking when all this is going down? And what are you thinking now that we've had like a week to think about it? Well, I guess from the, if you start from the beginning, obviously their line had been struggling from the get go, right? I mean, this is a line with a lot of issues and partly talent, right? They, they have some guys in some spots who are not long-term solutions. Um, and then they have a guy, oh, you talk about Nick Gates. It's probably not a very good center, okay, no matter who's coaching him. And then you have a guy on the opposite end of that at the left tackle spot in Andrew Thomas, who they hope can be the future, who has, who has been who has stunk. I mean, you can sugarcoat it however you want. He's been better lately, He's been, but he's been bad. And the line's been better lately, okay? But for the most part, it's been bad. All right, so you kind of get that, and you kind of get why Joe Judge would – not kind of, you do get it, and why Joe Judge would want to take an increased interest in the line. If you look at it from Columbus' perspective, I mean, you have a, a head coach who's had an entirely special teams background, who has no background in offensive line coaching. And I guess in that situation, it comes across as meddling. So there's a lot of things we still kind of don't know about this uh, situation. Uh, obviously, we know what happened when it reached the boiling point. And if, if you say if you say what Mark Columbus said to your boss in any line of work, uh, you're going to get fired. I mean, I don't think that's any great, enormous revelation uh, <laughs> that, that, yeah. that, that, that that would happen in any line of work. And, and even in the NFL um, now or 15 years ago, I don't, I think this is something if you, if you, you know, MF your boss to, for lack of a better term to his face, you're going to get fired. Okay. So, but did it have to reach this point? And I think that's the more interesting part of this conversation. And, we talked to some guys this week for a broader story about this issue, and one of them is a former NFL coach. We talked to him. He said, you know, he was kind of speculating on it. He didn't really know, but in, he was saying in these situations, and he's a, he used to be a head coach, um, and he said, you know, when I had a problem with an assistant coach with the way he was doing something on the practice field in terms of teaching or whatever, I would bring it up with him privately before we hit the practice field. Like for the, to, yeah, I don't, we don't know whether Joe judge did that. Exactly. Case. Yeah. So, that's kind of the issue here. Yeah. Right. So did he go to Mark Colombo and say, listen, man, I think we're, we need to adjust how we do this or for the, or did he bring it up for the first time on the practice field in front of the players and basically it pants this guy in front of his players and undercut him. We don't know. Okay, so so let's just put those two scenarios out there. There's one or two ways it could have gone down, and I think a, this former NFL head coach and everyone would agree who manages people even for a living in any business that, that the, there's one way to do it right and there's one way to do it wrong. We don't know whether Joe Judge talked to Colombo about this and then he saw it continuing on the field and then he interrupted. That could have happened. That could have happened. Um, but if if uh, if – he brought this up, I think, for the first time on the field and hadn't brought this up with a coach behind closed doors. I, th- I think that's a problem. And I, that's, that's not me saying that. That's, that's a former NFL head coach saying that, that you don't do that. You know, you have to t- bring things up with guys behind the scenes first. So there's a, a lot of layers to this, a lot of possibilities for the, the whys and hows of it reaching the boiling point. But I think we can all agree that the boiling point that it reached, which wasn't physical, but was still unacceptable. Like you can't do what Mark Colombo did and expect to keep your job, whether your line's playing great or whether your line's playing poorly. Does Mark Colombo deserve a lot of blame for the Giants line playing poorly? I think he deserves maybe some. You're not talking about a guy who's been a line coach for 20 years. He's relatively new to this this job. Um, he'd been with the Cowboys. What? He'd really. I think, he, I think he. I think he was the offensive line coach for like one and a half years, two years, something like that. Because right, he, he was the assistant line so, coach. So he, one of the interesting thing is he replaced 
Paul Alexander during the season and Paul Alexander trained Andrew Thomas before this season. <laughs> like that's a funny exactly, connection yeah. there. Yeah. And the, you know, that's the world of line coaching is, is, I don't know. I, I guess incestuous wouldn't be the right word. It's a weird <laughs> word to use, but these guys cross paths. I mean, we, we've talked to Duke Mannyweather. He trains a lot of these guys. So there's a lot of cross pollination would be the more accurate word of, of who these guys work with. And so I think the, the coaches, coaches with these NFL teams understand that these guys work with guys before the draft and they work with other guys during the off season. Um, so I th- the bottom line is the line is bad. I think if the line is going to be really bad, if this line is going to be really, really bad, then they're going to be really bad no matter who coaches them. And they're going to be really bad because Dave Gettleman did a poor job of picking players. That's why they will be bad. Not because like one guy is a terrible O-line coach. Like Mark Colombo is not clueless. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's actually pretty smart. I think honestly, So yeah. it's a combination of factors. Like I, I think, um, you know, but the end result had to be the end result when it reached that boiling point. Now, did it have to reach that boiling point? Could Joe Judge, as a rookie head coach, done a better job of managing a situation? That's something we really, I don't think, have seen in some of the reporting coming out about this. Is could this have been avoided uh, through different sort of man, you know, people management, or you know, was Mark Colombo just so? unwilling to accept critiquing and criticism and out possible outside help that this was never going to, this was always going to be the end result because honestly, just because Joe judge wanted to bring in Dave to Elmo. And I think I said it right. Uh, as, as a consultant, that's not, that's okay. Look, that's his right as a head coach and yeah. Elmo has got a ton of experience. And if you're Columbo and you're just saying, you know, heck no, I'm not. Okay. Well, look, man, like you, uh, quite frankly, Colombo hasn't really earned the right to not have that type of help, considering how poorly the lines played and, and the fact that he doesn't have a lot of, a lot of experience. So was it Colombo being super, super stubborn and Judge wasn't at fault at all? I, I maybe I find that hard to believe. I honestly think that as a rookie head coach, he may have he may have kind of overstepped a little bit here um, and not perhaps handled it correctly. Um, I just don't. I. I just don't know why Colombo would get so angry for no good reason if this was handled on a on a total human to human level in the most optimum way possible from Judge's angle. I don't know what you think. Yeah, well, and I think it's important to be said, and we can talk about this, like about what this means going forward. I think there's a few different like takeaways I have from what you were saying, but um, Colombo is not like a judge. They don't they don't have a background. Like yes. he, Colombo is here because of Jason Garrett, not because of Joe Judge. Joe Judge hired him. And they interviewed DiGuglielmo, by the way, um, before hiring Columbo. Who knows it, like how much you know? Judge took Garrett's input here because it's his offense. Whatever he he spoke really highly Columbo. Columbo is really highly thought of around the league. I think because of the work he did in Dallas, uh, former NFL offensive lineman. I think it should be said that he's he was extremely popular amongst the players. Which I don't. That's not necessarily a good or bad thing. Sometimes that can be a bad thing. Sometimes it'd be good because you know he's a straight shooter type of guy, former NFL offensive lineman. I think he was really well liked in there, but yeah, you know, I think the factor of Joe judge wanting his guys on the staff and on the team, I think you're seeing like he, Joe judge will stop at nothing to establish what he sees as the right culture and the right, you know, personality of his team, his way or the highway. He's proven that if you get in his dog house, it's a bad thing. Golden Tate got in there and I don't know if he's necessarily gotten out. He's, he played less than 50% of the snaps when he got back last week, Columbo's out of here, you know, guys run laps, whatever. Um, and so I so that this is like you wrote about this in the aftermath, and I think it's a fair question. And I think Jason Lockenford reported about it being an actual thing. Like, I wonder what this means for the future of Jason Garrett on this team. You know, if they 
miss the playoffs, or even if they don't miss the playoffs and the offense just keeps, you know, they've won two games in a row, but it's not like their offense has been gangbusters still. Their running game has gotten better. They're still not scoring a lot. Right. They're one of the least worst scoring teams in the NFL. Um, I mean, it's debate. Daniel Jones has played two good games, but that shouldn't eliminate all of his other bad games. Like, we need to see how he plays over the last six games. So, like, is, is Jason Garrett going to be here next year? Or are other guys that weren't, you know, Joe Judge disciples going to be here? Um, and I think, you know, it's going to be very interesting because on one hand, you'd like to have some continuity for Daniel Jones. It would be his third offense in three years if they hired from outside the building. And that's just not – I mean, historically, if you look at quarterbacks who have had to deal with that, they don't succeed most of the time. And so you so you, you understand, like, that would be a bad thing. But on the other hand, if you don't think Jason Garrett's the right fit here and you don't think his offense is creative enough and – you know, it's not, you know, aggressive enough, and which, you know, there are signs of all that being true, even if Garrett's done better the last couple of weeks, then you probably should move on from him at the same time. And it just kind of goes back to, like, I wonder how much Colombo ties into that because Garrett recommended him and, you know, is, is it going to be held against him that Colombo did this and this? And, you know, it's just, there, there's just, like, so many interesting things. And I, and I think it's also important to, like, point out that even if the offensive line comes out and is really good over the next few weeks and, I don't know if that necessarily should be attributed to this coaching change. You know, I, I think it's a prod. If it's offensive line keeps getting better, it's a product of a group that didn't have a preseason together. Uh, they have a rookie at left tackle, a converted tackle at center, Cam Fleming at right tackle, you know, Shane Lemieux playing a lot. He's a rookie. Like it's a product of them playing together for the first time and they are getting time to do it. And, you know, Mark Colombo, maybe he's the reason they're, they're here. Maybe he's not, but uh, like a, the equal dilemma element is also kind of interesting just because like, if you look at his history, like there's, he has, like you mentioned, he's been at a lot of stops. Um, he was at the Patriots. He started his coaching career on Coughlin staff. He was an offensive line uh, assistant to the offensive line coach. Um, but he's bounced around for a reason. He's kind of has, he's known for having like a brash personality. Um, you know, I think he, there are some players who love playing for him. I think there are some that he rubs the wrong way. And, I, and I'm curious to see like how that could impact an offensive line group that, you know, those guys obviously are really tight knit. And if he comes in and rubs them the wrong way and, you know, barks at them and it's this big personality you're bringing in in week 11 or week 12 that they've never even met before, most likely besides Fleming, probably like, I, like what, what do you make of the D Guglielmo element of this? Yeah. I mean, obviously a guy who has ties to Joe, Joe judge from new England and you know, he's had mixed results. I mean, he went and replaced Dante Skarnecchia in new England and it, that didn't last. Uh, years ago with the Jets, he um, uh, replaced Bill Callahan, a you know very notable offensive line coach, um, and was certainly like very publicly fiery. And I was not covering the Jets back then. This was 2012, the year before I started covering the Jets. I was working in a different job, and the, the he gave a legendary press conference where he was barking about, oh, you know, I'm not afraid of the ghost of Bill Callahan or something like that, and. Um, you know, and, and just, he's just very, very proud guy and very bombastic and combustible to, to some degree. So, um, I will be curious to see how this works as well. Um, I, I'm sure Colombo is not a wallflower. That's the, so yeah, yeah, most yeah. of these offensive line coaches aren't. Yeah, there's offensive a, linemen are a different breed, that's for sure. There's a couple of factors here. I mean, obviously, they're not going to come in and overhaul everything. Like, Dave DeGuglielmo is going to have to adhere to what Jason Garrett's doing offensively. Like, they're not going to change their whole offense based on the, who, who the new line coach is. Yeah. Um. So, I, I don't see – maybe he tweaks some little techniques here and there, but, like, the notion that he's going to totally change the blocking scheme, 
I don't, you know, that's not happening. It just can't. It's such a too integral part of the of the offense. I mean, I'm not a football guy, if you will, but um, mm-hmm. but you know, anyway, that's common sense. You know, that's <laughs> that's an inherent part of your offense. It's not something you bring in an offensive line coach and totally change going from say a man blocking scheme to a zone blocking scheme or or whatever. We don't need to get into all that boring X's and O stuff. But um, yeah, I think um, there will be some surely some some small tweaks and joe judge downplayed the adjustments of course he did he's, he's gonna what do you expect i mean his zoom calls are totally quite frankly pointless for us because he just goes on there and spins which like most of these coaches do but uh but yeah you know he acknowledged even in that in that context that there would be some tweaks and um whether he yells at these guys a lot i don't know if that will be a huge factor in these guys be saying like oh the heck with this or whatever um you have a lot of guys in that line who are playing for jobs will hernandez kevin zeitler nick gates all playing for whether they will or won't be here next year cam fleming so they're motivated regardless of what the record is i think regardless of who the coach is but the bottom line is either you can play or you can't like i just don't buy this idea that a great offensive line coach is going to turn an untalented player into a productive one. No, sorry. I don't, I don't think that's true. I really don't. Um, you know, you're a good, I think it, it helps, but um, either you have it or you don't. And, um, and we'll see. We'll see. I think it's clear. Some of these guys on this line don't have it and they're not long-term solutions, but the big one being Andrew Thomas, it's not like they're going to give up on him after a year. What do they do there? Are you going to see an uptick in the production? You've seen a little bit, but if you look at the, if you're really honest about it and you look at the pro football focus grades, yeah, he's played a little better. Okay. But the bar was so low that it's not like he's lighting it up now. Like if you legitimately want to be honest about it and not have like blinders on about who this guy is, he hasn't been productive period. So we'll see. And one interesting thing about DeGuglielmo just last year, he replaced somebody after things that are already started like five days into Dolphins training camp, they fired their offensive line coach and replaced him with Dave. And then they did, Brian Flores didn't want to bring him back next year still. So it's another, like who knows if he'll be their offensive line coach. He's doing a tryout really like these six games are a tryout for him as much as the players. Yeah, really. for sure. For um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that's, we can put a bow on and that. Especially uh, if there's a new OC next year, right? Yeah, so so exactly. say, say, say judge says, Oh, we're done with Garrett. Well, he's not going to say to the new OC, Oh, by the way, you have to keep this O-line coach who I know from yeah. New England. I'm, I'm sure he's not. I wouldn't think he would, right? So yeah. if you're if, if it's a new OC, it's probably a, mostly a clean slate offensively anyway in terms of the lower-level staff, in terms of the position coaches, I should say. Yep, I think that's fair. And I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised whether it's Garrett or not if Judge makes a few coaching changes. He seems like someone who's not going to you know sit idly by if things aren't going well at certain positions. And there's certainly some positions that haven't played well. Um, if you look at the steam, so yeah, uh, the, the it can be a good be... thing and a bad thing, right? I mean, yep. the, 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 you got to be decisive, but the, I think we, I talked to the same coach I was referring to earlier. You got to be bold, and you can't wait around for make decisions. The head coach is what he said, but you don't want to jump at it. You know, you don't want to be there's that line um, in any as in any type of management role. You don't want to be overzealous. So we'll see where he falls. I mean, this is a guy who's ten games in to this thing, so we're learning a lot about him as we go. Yep. All right. We can uh, start spinning a, f- a forward. Um, I'm sure this this topic won't go away just because of the nature of, you know, every week the offensive line is going to be almost watched more. They're going to be scrutinized more based on how they play now. But um, yeah, look, you know, looking ahead, I think over the last week, I can't remember if we talked about this last week in time or not, but the Giants are getting closer to getting back Xavier McKinney. 
and O'Shane Zimenez uh, and linebacker Ted Crowder. But McKinney's the main one I think is worth talking about. You know, this defense has played much better than anybody could have expected. They're in the middle of the league in most categories. They're elite at run stopping. Um, and Xavier McKinney, when they drafted him, you know, they talked about him being the quarterback of the defense. They had plans for him to be like a centerpiece of this defense as a rookie. Then he fractured his foot in training camp and he hasn't played a single game. I, I think fans' expectations maybe have gotten a little high for a guy that hasn't, you know, fully practiced in a long – I think he fully practiced today, actually. But in all season, pretty much, he hasn't played an NFL game. He basically didn't have training camp, um, if you factor in all the time he missed. But at the same time, he could be like a, a fun – you know, injection into the depth chart at safety. You probably, I would think he would be the third safety. They signed Logan Ryan to replace him, and Logan Ryan's been been fine. Jabril Peppers has played pretty well lately. Um, what what do you think about Xavier possibly getting back into the mix? I know fans are pretty excited. Yeah, I know. I'm not going to do the Xavier savior pun, but like I literally <laughs> just thought of that because I nice. was about to say it. Not even the pun, but I was about to say something about him potentially being the savior of the secondary. But then the, the rhyming deterred me or maybe it didn't I don't know. but I don't like the notion that this guy's going to come in and be a massive difference maker is crazy I mean like he if anything you're I, this is a great for this is great for him personally because he's able to you know get his feet wet a little bit in the NFL the Giants are able to learn a little bit about him but more importantly he's a little able to learn a, bit, a little bit about playing at this level at this speed you know in this system um presuming Patrick Graham's back next year and you know he probably will be I don't think he'll get a head coaching job I don't think he get fired but so this is a good learning opportunity for him. I think that that's how people should look at it. I don't think they should look at it and think, oh, this guy's an immediate upgrade. You know, he's in, he's going to be he's going to be Ed Reed going out there immediately. Um, like you said, Logan Ryan's been fine, and I think the best approach, and you kind of wrote about this, is work work Xavier McKinney in whenever he returns to the, to the game field as third safety. Um, you know, give him some reps here and there. It's not a situation where he's going to replace Logan Ryan wholesale as, as a starting free safety. So. Um, yeah, and you got to remember Logan Ryan's not a guy who was a natural free safety necessarily anyway. You know, this is a, a kind of a new transition position for him and too. Um, but he's got a ton of experience and and Xavier McKinney can learn from Logan Ryan. I think it's you know, it's a good it's a good thing for him. I mean, if if this kid had started from the get-go and, you know, he had been able to been out, be out there from week 1, gone through training camp, not been hurt at all, you know, yeah, I think you could look at a situation where you say, well, he really helped the defense this year in a big way and was a big factor. I think you almost have to flip that on its head now. I think him being on the defense in whatever role he plays is more so going to help him because six weeks left in the season, maybe the playoffs, I guess. Um, it's not a situation I don't think where he's going to come in and be be this incredible difference maker. Work him in slowly. Um, you know, they don't want to have a re-injury situation. And, you know, a guy who hasn't been out there that much, you could pull a muscle or something like that, right? Because he, uh, because of how inactive he literally has been because of his foot. So, um, you know, that was an unfortunate deal for him and the Giants. But I think this is this is great for him. I'm, you know, I think it's he's, he's a fascinating player. It'll be really, it'll add another, like, kind of, uh, there, I was going to say X factor. That's just another stupid pun, but I think he, it'll add a little bit of a spark to the, to the final six games. Right. Won't it like, okay, cool. Here's a, here's an unknown factor. Let's see what he's got. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of all your puns, you know, when they announced that McKinney and uh, Zyman as are coming back, everybody was referring to them as the X-Men. You are a, I know you're a big comic book fan, Daryl. So yeah. superhero movies are your favorite and uh, you know all about them. And uh, <laughs> Something like and, that. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. Daryl is a loser. Um, he does not like all that stuff. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, so I would say, yeah, I agree. I think 
the ceiling for him for the rest of the season would probably just be that he's the third safety that rotates in every now and then. And you kind of give him a spell, you know, maybe if, you know, they're probably still going to be in until last week, just because of the nature of this crappy division, which we'll talk about in a second. But, you know, if they're, if it's week 17 and they're out of the playoff picture, maybe you play him a lot more. Cause that's when you should start playing all these young guys and look yeah, ahead to next yeah. year. But it, it's certainly good that they're getting these, you know, Zyman as, you know, I don't think he was playing particularly well before he got hurt, but he's probably better than the guys that are starting opposite uh, Kyler Fackrell right now. Um, Tay Crowder was showing some flashes for a seventh round pick before he got hurt and he'll probably be back. So you could feel a little better about like some of those weak spots in the defense, I guess. And, you know, maybe Ryan Lewis comes back and is an upgrade over Isaac Yidem, um, whatever that means. Uh, but yeah, so we should talk about this NFC East race. It, we've talked about it almost every week and it keeps getting weirder. I feel like every week we're in week 12 and all four teams have three wins, which is just unreal. Um, I looked it up on pro football reference. And I think since 1920, I forget what the exact number was. It was something like 300 something or 400 something teams have started either uh, three and seven or three, six and one, which the Eagles are. And only one of those 400 teams or whatever has made the playoffs. And that was like the Falcons. I forget what year it was. Um, or maybe it was the Panthers. Uh, point being that's that history is going to be altered this year because one of these four teams, unfortunately has to make the playoffs. Um, there's legit scenarios where they could, the champion could have five wins. Um, it's just like, it's just, I don't The mediocrity in the division is just phenomenal. If you just look at how bad the Eagles are, they got beat by the Browns in like embarrassing fashion the other day. Carson Wentz looks like the worst quarterback in the NFL and they're still in first place. Um, and like, to just, I, I tweeted about this the other day, like just to highlight how insane this division is. So Washington and Dallas play on Thursday. If Washington wins on Thursday, they're mm-hmm. in first place. If, the Giants win on Sunday, they take first place because they have tiebreaker over Washington. Then if the Eagles win on Monday, they take first place because they have the tiebreaker because they have a tie in their record. So we could have three different division leaders over the span of like four days. Yeah, um, that's wild. <laughs> I mean, the division right now, I saw this pro football talk uh, crunch these numbers, and I guess you don't really have to do much number crunching. But So the worst ever division is 2008 NFC West in terms of combined record, final record. And um, you know, and winning percentage also is how you compare the two divisions at this point. But the the at the current NFC East has the worst winning percentage. I want to say three thirteen is the winning percentage, and the other one was like Same. three is like three forty in the three forties. So they're on pace to be the worst division in the history of. I don't know how far back that goes. I know that obviously the divisions changed uh, at certain times, but you know, it's it's a fairly long history. So, uh, yeah, so. so Six and ten, right, is what the Giants. You okay? Maybe probably five need to be. Yeah. I would say if the Giants are going to make it, they probably have to win six. Yeah, because if the Eagles win six, then it's really six point five wins for the Eagles. Yep. So you, you got to think if the Eagles win five uh, and the Giants win five, then again five point five. So uh, so say the Giants got to get to six. Six games left. They got to close three and three. They play the Bengals, where they should win this game on Sunday. If they don't, you should just put them in the toaster. Season over. Uh, <laughs> and then you have Cowboys end of the year uh but in between you have some challenges there the giants are gonna have to quote unquote steal one of these games right yeah i mean you look at that schedule you look at they have the seahawks on the road yep they have the cardinals at home the browns at home and the ravens on the road um so the, the big four, ones are uh, cardinals browns yeah i would say i mean even i mean you could say that the seahawks have really bad defense but it's not like the giants offense has been gangbusters so that like they have Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and all those guys, but but yeah, you know that they, they need to steal, as you said, one of those games. Um, 
And, you know, I, I think they also need things to go their way. They need the Eagles to keep being a dumpster fire. Yes. And they need the Cowboys. You know, the Cowboys have the easiest slate of this group. They have a couple of teams that aren't playoff teams on their schedule, which is more than can be said for the Eagles or the Giants. Washington has not an insane schedule, but the Giants have the tiebreaker on Washington. So you're not really scared of Washington unless they somehow become two games ahead of the Giants. So you're really only focused on, you know, the Eagles and the Cowboys. I think the Eagles are just going to tumble to the end. Their schedule is like impossible coming up. You had um, a good point on that. The yeah, Cowboys so that's maybe what the I, team. I think. I think the Cowboys are the team. I'll pull up their schedule now. I got it right here. Uh, the, their schedule, yeah. they go, they're Washington at home, obviously, on Thursday in the Thanksgiving game, the second and now final day Thanksgiving game because of the, the, the night game got whacked. Yeah. Um, so they go versus Washington, then at Baltimore, tough one. At Cincinnati, not so tough. Versus the 49ers, not not so tough. Versus the Eagles, not so tough. And at the Giants, also not very tough. So the, the final four games for the Cowboys, Bengals, Niners, Eagles, Giants, if you just look at the opponents, and then if they beat, if they beat Washington uh, here, I guess we're talking Wednesday, if they beat them tomorrow on Thursday, um, um, then, yeah, I think you could be in a situation where, and I guess we could publish this podcast tomorrow now. So what we're talking about is not totally irrelevant. <laughs> um, we're we're but, publishing it on Wednesday. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. It'll come out. It'll come out later today. But um, yeah, it, it, that's a huge game, right? That That's a big time driver's seat game. Yep. Considering, considering the, I did not realize what the final four games for the Cowboys look like. Bengals, yeah, Niners, Eagles, Giants. I mean, yeah. So, so, so what I wrote about, like you mentioned, um, and Andy, the, the, yeah, Andy Dolan's back. You know, they see, they beat the Vikings, who had won three in a row leading up to that game. Their defense is awful. Like, every game they win is going to have to be, like, 30 to 38. I mean, like, 30 to 28. I mean, like, they – they beside – I think they give up the most points of anybody in the NFL, actually. But, you know, they have Andy Dalton. They have all those weapons on offense. Uh, they As of now, they beat the Giants earlier this season. So, they have the – they would have the tiebreaker going into Week 17 – so that that I mean it ultimately the division might come down to that game to be honest with you it wouldn't surprise me if it did, um, and you know the, the Cowboys have more players that are experienced in winning, um, they have this offense they have the easier schedule like all all the side like they they have been a mess most of the year and they won one game and all of a sudden everybody's talking about it like they turned it around nobody in this division has actually turned it around it's just relative to the rest of the division and re- like yeah. like I I wrote about this in something that hasn't come out yet. I, like if the if the Giants are three and seven in any other division, we're talking about twenty twenty one right now. We're not talking about you know their division race, but they're in the NFC East, and you can only play who your opponents are and what division you're in. So yeah, so I would say the Cowboys are the team that scares me more than the other two. The Washington might have the most talent just because they probably have the best defense in the division, but like none of these quarterbacks, I would say you could like have a hundred percent confidence in. That's for sure. So like I, there's just no way of predicting this division how it's going to go. Like the Eagles. You know, for how bad they've been, if they just win another game, they're in the driver's seat. So, like, it, it it's it's that simple. Whoever of these teams win against non-division teams is probably going to win this division, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it'll come down to. So, um, there you go. So, you watch a 1230 Giants fans on, on Thanksgiving, and I uh, should say 430. Uh, yeah, Giants fans should be rooting for Washington on Thursday. That's yep, for sure. There you go. Um, we can briefly touch on this game against the Bengals. I should say, you know, they're not going to have Joe Burrow, who unfortunately suffered like a scary knee injury. It was, it was gross. Um, he got hit pretty bad on it. And it's it stinks because I was excited to watch him. He's a really fun player. He's been great as a rookie. He's going to be out for at least a year. 
it sounded like a pretty like he tore multiple ligaments in his knee. Um, so he's out. So they're going to be playing Brandon Allen, I believe, is who they're going to yes. play. Yeah. Um, at quarterback, they don't have Joe Mixon. Their offensive line is terrible. Their defense is terrible. Like by all, by every stretch, if the Giants lose this game, like you said, like technically they'll still be in it till the end, and they'll keep saying that. But if they can't beat the Bengals in this condition, then they're not going to beat any of those four teams that we mentioned. And then that that would leave you without a win until the Cowboys or whatever. Like it, it's 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 weird to say that they're. I mean, their Giants fans have to enjoy that they're playing a big game in late November, which hasn't happened in a long time. It's probably the biggest. It might be the most important game since that playoff year a few years, four years ago. Like, I would, is that a fair argument? And this is their most important game sure. since then. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if they win, they're in pretty good shape. They're not out of the woods yet. They, like we said, they'll have to win another one. But I mean, I, I don't see any. I, mean, I shouldn't say I don't see any way. You never know with this team. But I, I would, I would expect them to win on Sunday, and it would be nice for them to win in convincing fashion, both for us and for their sake. <laughs> yes, for sure. For a deadline, I'm tired deadline of the tired stress. of these tired of these. I know they're exciting, but you know I'm tired of these late fourth quarter. Everything's close. Final drive. Art the the story. I'm ready to go. Might change completely. Like it, it, it. It's it's inside baseball a little bit in terms of sports writing, but like when you're deadline writing, um, it was especially different. You were still work for newspapers too. Like deadline writing on uh on especially for late games. When you worked for a newspaper, when it was close at the end, was the most stressful possible thing because you know you, you're at you're at the will of the go- of the gods, and if and if things go the opposite way of what you wrote, then you're in a lot of trouble, and you have to kind of. And anyway, the Giants have had a lot of games like that this year, and it's been stressful. And it would be nice if they could blow somebody out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they they feel the same way. Um, so it's in Brandon Allen. I was funny. We were talking about. Uh, he's the quarterback now for the Bengals. They just promoted from the practice squad. I yeah. hadn't heard about him or thought about him in a long time. This guy's 28 and he was six round pick he, in 26. Played for uh, played for Brett Bielema at Arkansas. He did. Yep, exactly. Six round pick by the Jaguars, 2016 out of Arkansas. Um, dude's 28. And then I'm looking down. So he's only played in three games ever and he started them all. And it was last year in Denver and he went one and two. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, Ryan Finley was drafted ahead of Joe Burrow, not ahead of him, but a year previous, I guess, or two years previous. Um, and and they decided the Bengals did to to not go with Ryan Finley uh, as their quarterback for this game, but instead Brandon Allen. So there is again, if it was Ryan Finley or Brandon Allen or Brandon Finley or Allen Ryan or whatever, <laughs> whoever it is, uh, there's no reason the Giants should lose this game. If they lose this game. We're going to learn one thing about them. They're not good enough to win the NFC East. They still might actually win the NFC East, though. <laughs> I mean, but, I know, but yeah. they certainly would put themselves big time behind that, the eight ball with a loss that, here. No excuses. Yeah. They can't win. They can't lose. That, that I mean, that's kind of the thing we have to couch with because, I mean, we were convinced they were toast, obviously, when they were own 5 and they were 1-7. and seven. Like, there's no reason to think a 1-7 and seven team is going to turn things around. And then all of a sudden, everybody's talking about the Giants like they're the resurgent NFL team and Joe Judge, a coach of the year or something like <laughs> like I think we all need to take a step back and breathe. Pump and remember the breaks. They beat two bad teams. Like, yeah, they've only beaten the Eagles in Washington this year. They're like, also it, they're also a bad team, so I get it, you know. But I yeah. think this is very premature. Again, like I just I don't. I, I, get, I, under, I understand the positivity, by the way. Like yeah. they've been competitive. The Giants have been awful for years. Like you want to hang your hat on something. I think yeah, okay. Joe Judge is, is steering in the right direction. All that stuff. But they're still three and seven. Like they're not. A Super Bowl contender. Like, I can I, understand I, fans I having it. that yeah. outlook, but yeah. it just seems like the cut. You know, in some circles, 
the way it's been written about yeah. has been so definitively um, positive yeah. and with no recognition of a gray area here of, of the reality of their situation. Um, so look, go beat the Bengals on Sunday, take care of business. You know, I think you get credit for that win for sure. No one's going to sit around and say, I guess, yeah. So what? I guess kind of, but you do, you do what you're supposed to do. That's part of being a good team is beating teams you're supposed to beat. That's yep. look, um, you know, a lot of good teams rack up wins with your 13 and three team. You're going to beat some bad teams and no one's going to say, oh, geez. I mean, you won 13 games. I mean, four or five of those don't count because they were bad teams. No, you have to stack these type of wins. Um, and so that's part of building a, a, a winning team is being able to go into a game that you should win um, and and kind of not overlook it. Not that they would necessarily, I don't think, in this case. Um, and and pound a team into the dirt, basically, is what they have to do in this game. Make it a little easier on themselves than they had they have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, making it easier on themselves is not the Giants' way for no, a long time. No. It's been for a long time. Um but you know, I mean, you know, it'd be cool. For, I mean, the, on one hand, it'd be cool for Giants fans that they could get to the playoffs. Whether they're six, Giants fans aren't going to care if they're six and ten and in the playoffs. Playoffs no, or the playoffs. No, but sure. on the other hand, it kind of stinks that they won't be able to. Like, there's no chance they're going to be open in the stadium to fans this year. They've already taken that privilege away from a lot of teams. So they they would have a home playoff game with no fans at MetLife, which is just so it's kind of depressing while also being exciting. Yeah. yeah but it sums up 2020 in a nutshell, really. It does. And it, it would be very 2022 if they won the division at six and 10, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, everybody always says once you're in the playoffs, all better off, I guess, but, um, Hey, maybe we'll be covering a playoff game, uh, after the, uh, in 2021, it'll be in, it would be in 2021, I think. So there you go. Um, the, the year would be over by then <laughs> this miserable year. Um, all right. We can wrap up on that note. Who do you got um, in the game? Who are you picking? Oh yeah, I should say. Uh, I'm gonna pick. I, I will pick the Giants, and I'll I'll have them winning probably by a touchdown. I would say. I have Bengals twenty-one, Giants twenty, for no reason other than I just want to be a jerk. So. <laughs> <laughs> you are a jerk. I can't. I am. That. I am. I want to be, and I am. I achieve the goal. But look, <laughs> we'll take it to the bank. Uh, I just. I I think that. Don't, don't bet your house on DraftKings. Don't, yeah, don't, don't do yeah, that. Don't do that. I think the Giants. There's probably a sixty. I, all right, sixty-five percent chance they win the game. I'm just trying to be a little bit of a contrarian there, so I think they will win the game, even though I'm just making a kind of uh, outside the box pick there at twenty-one twenty. If the Bengals do win, I think that's a maybe a reasonable score, seventeen fourteen, something like that. Yeah. It's not like the Bengals are going to beat them thirty-eight to to no three. These are these, these aren't off, these, these aren't offenses that are going to be scoring thirty-five points most likely. Probably a low-scoring uh, game, especially especially on the Bengals side of things with with. Peter Allen or whatever his name is at quarterback. So <laughs> we should just change his name every time we we say it. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Tom Allen is up on a Sunday, and all right, um, all right we, we'll we'll, uh, we'll wrap up on that. We'll wrap up on that note. Um, I should say, you know, by the time you guys listen to this, it might be Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving! Hope you guys have a great time with your families. Definitely. Um, uh, we'll get back to you again next week. Maybe the Giants will still be in the thick of this race. Uh, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you guys soon.